I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Originally from Sacramento, Elmar graduated from UC San Diego before moving to France, where she earned a master's degree from the Sorbonne University in Paris. She now lives and writes in Oregon with her family. Her debut thriller, The Missing Sister, was the number 24 best-selling ebook of 2020 on Amazon, a number one Amazon bestseller, number one in the Kindle store, featured in Women's World, and named one of Pop Sugar's 31 thrillers of 2020. Lies We Bury earned a Kirkus-starred review and was named one of Romper's 30 spring releases of 2021, one of the Nerd Daily's eagerly anticipated thrillers, and reached number one in serial killer fiction for four straight weeks. Her forthcoming thriller, Strangers We Know, comes out in May. Of Elle's work, Publishers Weekly said, Mar is a writer to watch. Welcome, Elle. Hello. Thank you for having me, Chris. Your books have received a lot of praise. Uh, one of them kind of gave me a little giggle, and I'm sorry to, to giggle at something that was an honor for you. Number one, serial killer fiction for four straight weeks. When you were growing up, was this on your bucket list? <laughs> <laughs> Every little girl's dream, right? I hope my baby will make it on the serial killer fiction list. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no miscongeniality for me. I'm, I'm shooting for number one in serial killer thrillers. Yes, it gave me a giggle as well. A very proud giggle. Not foreseen and not expected, but yeah, I'll, I'll ride with that. I was very happy. <laughs> you know, my daughter is, you know, in her mid twenties and she listens to uh, the crime junkies, just one of those after another. And I'll tell her, I'm like, why don't you just write that stuff? It's kind of scary. I'm like, yeah, but if you're writing it, you know, it's not real. So you can control it. Yeah. When you were getting into writing crime fiction, did you ever feel like you were straddling that line between, okay, I'm controlling this, but damn, it's scary. Did you scare yourself? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think you are right to, yeah, your daughter is right to have misgivings about it. Yes, you can control it. There is an element of diminishing the fearful aspects of writing crime fiction by controlling it. But then there's also the portion that requires research that requires you to dive into information that you might not seek out otherwise, or I wouldn't seek out otherwise. It does mess with you <laughs> psychologically, depending on what the storyline is at hand or, you know, what subplot you're really trying to make more authentic. I have found that, uh, yeah, I have some pretty crazy dreams when I'm drafting. It's true. <laughs> well, and how do you not fall down that rabbit hole of research? Because I can look up one little thing, but if you get into something really meaty and I can see how in crime fiction, you're looking for one thing, but then you start to dig into other, like, how do you ever get anything written when you're researching crime fiction? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, I don't have a real answer for that. I think I keep going, which is why I have a long list of story ideas, there's so much that's stranger than fiction out there that is our reality in this world and, in, and, you know, pockets of our domestic world and then pockets of our global world. Yeah, there's a very deep rabbit hole out there. And I often find myself having to cut myself off, <laughs> setting deadlines for myself to stop. I had a situation, oh, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I was, and I write women's fiction, but I was researching common ways little kids would have died in the 50s and 60s. 
And I thought, oh, I'm just going to go to Ancestry because I have an Ancestry membership. And so I started putting random dates without any names. And I I would go back to that for days. And I was like, oh my God. And I don't write crime fiction, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I did, oh, you could do so much with this. Oh, I'm giving myself chills. Go back. No, me too. I'm researched. <laughs> you are not a crime writer, Christy. <laughs> yes. No, I completely agree. And I think that's why I have so much respect for historical fiction also and historical thrillers. Mm-hmm. Knowing that like some of these outlandish plots actually are rooted in reality is both fascinating and kind of scary. Before we get too much into your book, I want to go back because I noticed that you have a master's degree from the Sorbonne. Yes. What did you study? I have a bilingual master's from the Sorbonne in Paris and I studied international studies in the Anglo-American sphere and how Americanism has infiltrated the world globally. Current events like that very obvious. Definitely. Basically anything you study would contribute toward writing, but how did that process happen where you went from international studies and I'm going to sit down and write this crime novel? (laughs) Yeah. And I think there are echoes of what we just mentioned of everything builds on itself, right? Mm -hmm. All of our life experiences build on themselves. And for me, that makes its way into my writing. And actually, this is a perfect segue to Strangers We Know, to my upcoming to-be-released thriller. I went from studying international studies and living in France for several years. And it was during that time that I began really writing thrillers and crime fiction, I was actually snowed in for a winter. really just wanted to tell myself a story. I've always loved writing. I've always wanted to be a writer, but really jumpstarted my noveling career. And so I took experiences that I had in France, and those definitely showed up in my debut thriller, The Missing Sister, which takes place in Paris, France. And then for Strangers We Know, which releases May 1st, I fused a headline that just gripped me for years, a real headline, Uh, And also my personal experiences with DNA testing and being the child of an adoptee. My mother is adopted. So both of those threads make themselves known in Strangers We Know and were sources of inspiration. Definitely the story is fictitious, but these threads of my life formed a lot of my motivation in writing this book. So this is your third novel, is that right? Correct. I have experienced it. And I know other authors have said the third one is really hard to write. Was it hard? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that first one you get to spend so much time on the second one. It's like, you're so busy still promoting number one. It just happens. But the third one, it's like, okay, now what? Third one is like starting from scratch. It is. It's a, it's a different beast. And I felt pressure myself of like trying to continue writing in a genre that I really personally enjoyed as a reader. And then also that I was proud of and wanted to continue building my author career on, but I'm very happy with how it turned out. I always had envisioned it as kind of an ambitious novel. And I think it got there. I'm hopeful that readers agree. You mentioned your mother's adopted. I'm getting the impression that this is something that's been stewing in the back of your brain for a long time of writing a novel that somehow related to adoption and DNA. Tell us a little bit about Strangers We Know. Yes, I'm happy to. Strangers We Know follows Ivy Hahn, who was adopted as a baby, uh, who then takes a genetics test to try and determine more about an undiagnosed illness that has been baffling her doctors. But the results attract the FBI, who share that according to Ivy's DNA, she is related to the full moon killer, a predator who has terrorized the Pacific Northwest for decades. (laughs) 
Exactly. You know, everyone's worst nightmare when they submit that spit sample. When an online search connects Ivy with her younger cousin, she heads to rural Rock Island, Washington to meet the woman in person. And she's motivated by both a desire to learn more about her biological family and also about this potentially murderous relative to maybe unmask this person. It's there that Ivy discovers her mother's tragic fate and her father's disappearance And as Ivy ventures further into a serial killer's home territory, she realizes she may be the next victim of poisonous blood ties. The book sounds fascinating. I have actually been doing some research on Chinese adoptees for a novel that I'm working on. How did you go about your research? Well, my research was really influenced by my own personal experience, honestly. I understood what it meant to be adopted. I recall Mm -hmm. when I was about nine years old and I asked my mother, this is all great. (laughs) but what does it mean about our family history? What do we know about our medical history as a precocious nine-year-old? And as one does, (laughs) as one does, as one does, who will ultimately become number one in serial killer thrillers, (laughs) (laughs) precocious sort of child there. I asked her and she said, you know, I don't know. I don't have those answers. And it wasn't something that was really a need for her. She loves her adoptive parents. I did as well. They've since passed on. But she didn't need to know those answers. I, on the other hand, was very curious. Don't end up as number one on the serial killer murder list without being sufficiently curious. Extremely inquisitive, right? Probably to more mischievous ends. But obviously many years went by and then I actually tracked down our biological family myself and reached out to them on social media. And then eventually we went and met them in person. And so a lot of my experience of meeting biological family members and tracking them down online through social media, uh, which I think a lot of people experience these days, made its way into Strangers We Know and Ivy's experience of doing a thorough Google search and discovering there's a lot more out there on these people than she had ever expected. So did you find out anything really interesting or surprising when you researched your mother's biological family? Yeah, absolutely. And I think anything would have been a delight. Any kind of information would have been helpful because I had been dreaming of this moment, you know, since I was a kid, but certainly learned (laughs) there were a lot more family members than I expected. And um, really interesting, statistically, they say in child psychology that if you want to teach your child resilience, a good method is to teach them about their history, their past, to point to relatives or family members who have overcome previous hardships or lived through difficult times. Mm -hmm. And so going there and meeting my biological family members did that for me to a certain extent. It was just a neat confirmation that there's so much in my background that I wasn't aware of that allowed me to be here today. Am I to assume your mom is a Chinese adoptee? No, my mom is not. My mom is a, a good Irish stock. Tell me about your process. Like you get this idea, it's kind of stewing in your head. Where does it go from there? That's a great question because I feel like it does require a lot of stewing. For me, much of writing requires sitting with my characters or my plot lines and really mulling over both how effective they are and the ways in which you know there are holes to be filled. And I really can't get there and feel like my manuscript is super strong until I just spend the hours or the days or the months with a certain scenario. To answer your question a little more succinctly, I outline and then I deviate from that outline. As one does. I've heard that with crime and, you know, any type of suspense that 
the outlining is really crucial because so much has to happen and there's so many moving parts. You said your outline changes. Like what are the things that tend to change? Motivations for my main characters can change as I come to understand them better and come to understand them in these specific situations better. And so that can modify what constitutes greater stakes, right? Like I think definitely with Strangers We Know, I thought Ivy, my main character, Ivy Han was one person. And then I got to know her more through the course of drafting and seeing her react to these otherworldly situations and then came to understand her fears and her ambitions to a greater extent. I guess that sounds a little bit like meta or like a little crunchy. Mm-hmm. But it truly, for me, writing and drafting and and understanding my characters requires thinking of them as holistic, complex people. So it's always a discovery. It's a partnership. I agree. Until you put them through the motions and walk through those motions with them, they're two-dimensional. And there's so much of it that we end up cutting, but you've (laughs) got to get to know them that way. Otherwise, they're not authentic. Absolutely. How long does it take you to write a novel? Well, you touched on this earlier. With my first novel, it took me three years. You have all the time in the world with your debut. And then after that, my second and third were each about three months to draft Uh, yeah. and then another two months to edit. So about five to six months. How long do you spend stewing and thinking? Oh, the entire six months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So how hard is it to not jump in there and start writing when you're in that stewing phase? It's extremely difficult. I should back up a little bit. I have the very good fortune of writing under contract the last three years. And so writing under deadline is significantly different than not, than having all that time in the world to really make sure the characters are right or your story is right or it's how you want to represent it. I'll often give myself a break of maybe two weeks Mm -hmm. if I can afford more. Like I am just completing edits on my fourth book right now. And I actually took off three whole weeks. Wow. (laughs) During the month of December, if I can get a full month in there, I think that's ideal just to get that distance so that I can, you know, do everyone justice, hopefully. Like when you're under contract, it's like somebody has handed you this piece of marble and it's like, don't screw it up. This is the only one you're going to (laughs) get. So think really hard on what you're going to carve into it. Um, (laughs) Prior to the beginning of your writing career, what were the novels or movies that made you want to write? I don't know that anyone's ever asked me this before. Definitely Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl. I think that woke up so many people to Mm -hmm. thrillers and suspense and crime fiction, uh, domestic crime fiction. That book awakened a lot in me. And my love of writing thrillers. I always loved reading them, but then writing them Mm -hmm. really, I had such respect for the plotting that Gillian Flynn did there. And then also, (laughs) I will say Stephen King, his alter ego, Richard Bachman, Mm -hmm. really had a strong influence on me. I accidentally read (laughs) Richard Bachman's book when I was 11. Found it in your backpack, right? Very precocious child. I cannot emphasize that enough. Hi, mom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So Richard Bachman slash Stephen King, as I understood at the very end of the book, had an enormous influence on me and that his prose, I think everyone that's read Stephen King will know is is so 
some might say simplistic, but it's it's really so tight and so clear and concise, which makes for me a very thrilling, very engaging novel most of the time. Looking back, both of those authors had a great influence on me in, in actually writing my own novels. How cool would it be as a novelist to be able to just spend a day with Stephen King from the second he goes to his little writing room, shed, whatever that is he has, and and sitting with him and just, just sitting in a corner and watching him and then taking his walk with him and <laughs> then asking, okay, I just want to know what's in your head right now. Exactly. What are you thinking of Stephen King? And I feel like his <laughs> memoir on writing oh, is so exactly that experience. I reread that probably once a year. I'm just mm-hmm. so fascinated by what makes him tick. He's so smart. And I love following him on Twitter. He's pretty funny too. Yeah, he is funny. Um, Especially the last few years. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) What is next for you? Next up, I have a fourth thriller, which I'm very excited about. It is titled The Family Bones. And it's coming out spring 2023. Best way I can describe it is it is a locked room mystery set in rural Eastern Oregon in the mountains during a family retreat among psychopaths where things go horribly wrong. What could go wrong when you have a family retreat with psychopaths? I love the way you think. (laughs) There are things in Strangers We Know, which is coming out May 1st, Mm -hmm. that question nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being an adoptee and, and then growing up wholly separate and then being immersed with your biological family. And it was the idea of nature versus nurture that really stuck with me as I was writing The Family Bones of, you know, Sometimes there are secrets hidden within our genes themselves. And how do they manifest in certain situations? Have you read Allison Hammer's? Yes. The one about the DNA. Yes, it is. I have not read it yet. It's not going to make it onto the serial killer list, but it is a really good book. (laughs) I would hope not. I don't think that's the aim. (laughs) I don't think that was what she was going for. When Elle was a little bitty future crime serial murder writer, (laughs) what do you wish you could tell her about writing fiction? I would tell her that literally the only thing you can control is the writing. So take your time and enjoy the process. Because once you get into the publishing cycle, you don't have to compromise exactly, but there are different expectations of yourself that you will put on yourself and you should be prepared for that. What are you reading now? I just started Survive the Night by Riley Saker, Mm -hmm. which I'm very excited about. I've been meaning to read it for a while. And then I... I'm also reading, you just caught me in a moment of total transparency, the whole brain child about how to raise a smart, emotionally intelligent child because I have a toddler. This isn't research. Is it? <laughs> Not research. Yeah. Well, that's good. You know, you have to read some balance, parenting books balance. once in a while. <laughs> Serial oh, murder parenting. books do not help you with parenting very much. No, guess, they yes. don't. Although actually, this actually might be research for another book down the line because I'm fascinated by the effects of childhood into adulthood. So Mm -hmm. maybe it'll become research in some degree later on. So I also just started, I read too much, too many books overlapping at once. I also just started Say Her Name. It's fantastic. It's very gripping from the first page. So I'm getting a lot of my different reader needs met right now. You are in edits for your fourth book. Let's look at between number two and number four. What was the biggest lesson you learned between those books? Between number two, Elias We Bury and Strangers We Know, which is my third, and number four, The Family Bones, I <laughs> I gave birth to my first child and I'm actually pregnant with my second child. Congratulations. Thank you. So my answer is very much rooted in time management. 
<laughs> and actually doing proper math. How far so, apart? Well, they're going to be two years and about four months apart. They're going to be fine. But in terms of publishing, uh, it'll be about three books from being pregnant with one and pregnant with the other and writing. I've been very fortunate across the board in terms of my publishing schedule and my pregnancy schedule, but it's just funny. <laughs> I wouldn't have anticipated this. Thinking, okay, how do you measure your pregnancies in books? That's three books, two pregnancies. That's exactly it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Are there any characters in your books you firmly identified with? Yes. Yes. I really identified with my protagonist in my first, my debut book, The Missing Sister. My protagonist, Shana, she is a self-proclaimed unlikable protagonist. And I really enjoyed that about her. I think I'm likable, but I also have moments as all of us do where we are under stress and we are less likable. And she is (laughs) under a particular amount of stress searching for her twin sister in Paris. So I really enjoyed writing her and she's my debut protagonist. So I have a lot of love for her still. And then also the protagonist of my next book, Strangers We Know, Ivy, I identify with her a lot as Ivy herself is an adoptee. She goes and meets her biological family. And I am the child of an adoptee who met biological family, but her determination and her love for family in all forms is something that I really respected as I was writing her and also really appreciated about her, just her ambition in searching for clarity. I think that's something that I have. I'm I'm very relentless when it comes to research or clarity. Well, you'd have to be to find success at what you do. Think about this. Somebody is considering sitting down to write for the very first time. What's your advice? Write something that you enjoy. Oftentimes, I think newer authors, they suspect they should be writing to market. But the fact is, in traditional publishing and even with self-publishing, there is a delay in the market between what you write and then when you're able to actually get it into a consumable package. And so you should write something that you will enjoy reading at least a dozen, three dozen times because you will. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, if you enjoy it, trust that your readers will enjoy it. Thank you, Elle. This has been so much fun. This has been. Thank you so much for having me. To learn more, visit lmar.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support. 